Holy Father, thank you for another day on this good earth, a day to study from your word, to praise you, Father. We are so appreciative, Father, for the work of Jesus, for the information that has been revealed to us concerning your Son and, and your word. We're thankful for the geography that is mentioned in the Bible. Father, we pray that we're very precise in our studying of these places and that we glean the appropriate lessons that you will have us to draw from them. Father, we uh, pray for your people across the globe. I pray for your people in this country that you will continue to help us endure these very troubling times in which we're living in. Help us draw strength and courage from your word. Help us draw closer in our relationship to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, beyond getting to see some of the places that Jesus actually walked, in my 2015 trip to Israel, I was also able to see some other significant places that are mentioned throughout the Bible. In fact, in some of our previous classes, we were able to talk about some of those places. If you remember, in our last class, we had a study of the city of Jericho. Jericho is the, is the well-known, famous city that the Israelites conquered uh, during the time of Joshua. We also did a study on Caesarea Maritima. Remember, Caesarea Maritima is the city that Cornelius was from. Cornelius was the first Gentile convert. Caesarea Maritima is also the place where Philip the Evangelist lived. And it is also the place where Paul spent some time in jail before being transferred to Rome. We've had some studies of some cities that we don't have any evidence that Jesus actually spent time in, but they are significant cities. They are cities that are mentioned in the scriptures and some very amazing and extraordinary things took place in them. Now, in, in this particular video, I want to continue with that thought. And I want to talk with you about two other places that we don't have any evidence that Jesus actually traveled to, but they are places that are mentioned in the Bible. They are places where significant things took place. In fact, both of these places are considered as valleys. They are important valleys that are mentioned in the scriptures. Now, the two valleys I want to talk with you about in this particular video are the Sorek Valley and the Valley of Elah. The Sorek Valley and the Valley of Elah. I have put a red dot on the map that is that you see there, and that gives you a general idea of where these two valleys were. This is how the kingdom of Israel would have looked in the time of Saul, King Saul. King Saul was the first king of Israel. Now in this next map, I have tried to even be more precise, give you a map that's even more precise with the location of these valleys. The Sorek Valley is the yellow circle that's more to the north, and the Valley of Eli is the valley that is circled that is more to the south. Uh, notice how the Sorek Valley, that is the first valley we're going to study, 
It is located in the area of Dan. Here is an even more precise map of the Sorek Valley. Notice how the Sorek Valley is located near the towns of Zora, Eshatol, Ekron, and Timna. Now those are significant towns there because those, those towns are, are specifically mentioned in the scriptures. A very important person and some very key moments in Israelite history took place near these towns and near this particular valley. Now we're going to begin our studies of important valleys by talking about the Sorek Valley, this valley that you see here on the screen. And I want to begin by first, by first submitting to you that the Sorek Valley is mentioned it is mentioned in the book of Judges. You may want to go ahead and turn in your Bible to the book of Judges. You may want to go, go ahead and go to Judges chapter 13. Go to Judges chapter 13 in your Old Testament. The Sorek Valley is mentioned in the book of Judges. If you remember, the period of the Judges is described as a very dark period for the people of Israel. Judges 21 and verse 25 tells us that the period of Judges was a period where every man did what was right in his own eyes. It, it was a time when there was utter lawlessness and rebellion against God. It was a time of gross immorality and idolatry and murder. It was a time when Israel suffered at the hands of heathen nations, and they cried out to God for deliverance, and God delivered them with a judge or a deliverer that he would raise up among them. In fact, it was near the Sorek Valley that one of God's deliverers was born. It was near the Sorek Valley that Samson was born. Samson, one of the more popular judges, he was born near the Sorek Valley. Are you in the book of Judges? I'm in Judges chapter 13, beginning with verse number 1. In Judges 13 and verse number 1, the Bible says, Now the sons of Israel again. Notice this cycle that takes place in the book of Judges. It is a cycle that involves Israel sinning against God. And then Israel being oppressed by heathen nations as a result of their sin. And then Israel cries out to God for deliverance. God hears their prayer. He feels mercy and grace towards them. And then he raises up a judge to save them. That is the cycle that repeats itself for about 350 years during the time of the judges. In Judges 13 and verse 1, we find this cycle. Starting all over again when it says, Now the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord, so that the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines forty years. There was a certain man of Zorah. Remember that town Zorah we looked at on the map. A certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and, bore, and had borne no children. The angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and give birth to a son. 
Now, therefore, be careful not to drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. For behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the boy shall be called a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Here in these verses, we find some critical information regarding the birth of the judge that will be born near the Sorek Valley, that is, Samson. Here we, we find some information concerning Samson's extraordinary birth. Notice how the scripture says that, that Samson was born during a time when Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. He was born during the time of the judges. He was born during a time when every man was doing whatever was right in his own eyes. He was born during a time when Israel was heavily involved in idolatry and immorality, and God in his anger gave them over to the Philistines. He gave them over to this heathen nation. He gave them over to their arch rivals or their arch enemies, for a period of 40 years. In fact, when you read the Old Testament as a whole, you see that the Philistines were a thorn for in Israel's side for a very long time. It was during this time when the Philistines were oppressing the Israelites, when Israel was being punished by God because it, they did evil in his sight. It was during this time when Samson was born. The text also tells us, it also tells us about Samson's family. In this text, we learn that a man from Zorah, that's near the Sorek Valley, a man from Zorah, who was a Danite, he was from the tribe of Dan, his name was Manoah, and he was married to a, a woman. We don't have her name, but he's married to a woman who is barren. And so they're unable to have children, but they are promised by the angel of the Lord that they're going to have a son. God is going to open her womb, Manoah's wife's womb. She's going to get pregnant. They're going to have a son, and they are going to, they are going to dedicate this son to God. God is instructing them, commanding them to dedicate this son to his service. This son would be under the Nazarite vow. You can read about the Nazarite vow in Numbers chapter 6. There are a few important Bible characters that we can read about being under the Nazarite vow. Samson was under the vow. Samuel was under the vow. John the Baptist appears to have been under the vow. Part of being under the Nazarite vow included not having a razor come upon your head, staying away from strong drink, staying away from wine, staying away from eating unclean things, even staying away from, from dead bodies. Those who were under the Nazarite vow were dedicated, were dedicated to the service of God. Samson would be dedicated to God. He would be under the Nazarite vow, and he would be specifically used by God to deliver Israel from the Philistines. 
That was his purpose. He was born to be a judge. He was born to be a deliverer. He was born to be somebody who would deliver God's people from their enemies. Samson would be the son born to Manoah and his wife. He was born in the Sorek Valley, and as far as the valley goes, let me point out that the name Sorek, the name Sorek means the valley of the choice vine. And that is pretty interesting when you consider, when you consider how Samson was a choice vine of God. He was chosen specifically by God to do a work near this valley. The Sorek Valley served as a border between the tribe of Dan. Samson was from the tribe of Dan. His family was from the tribe of Dan. The Sorek Valley served as a border between the tribe of Dan and the Philistines. It was not far from the town of Zorah and Eshtalal. So that's important to point out because by Samson being born and raised near the Philistine cities, it allowed God, through his providence, to use Samson to be in constant conflict with the Philistines. All of the major cities of the Philistines were near the Sorek Valley. All of the major cities of the Philistines were near where Samson was born and raised. That was by the providence of God. It was God's will that Samson be near the Philistines. It was God's will that he be in constant conflict and contact with these people. God used him. Every time you find Samson in the book of Judges doing something to defeat the Philistines, that is God's blessing. That is God using him to bring deliverance to Israel. Samson also loved a woman from Sorek named Delilah. You probably have heard of Delilah. Delilah, the woman who would essentially be Samson's downfall. She was born. She was from the Sorek Valley, Judges 16 and verse 4. It was here that Delilah enticed Samson to tell her the source of his strength. And let me just say something about that. You know, so often it is commonly suggested that the source of Samson's strength was his hair. That is not accurate. While Samson did have long, beautiful hair from what the scriptures tell us, the source of his strength was not his hair. Instead, the source of his strength was Jehovah. It was the almighty and living God. The source of Samson's strength was the covenant, the Nazarite covenant that he had with God. It was not his hair. It was God. If you notice, every time in the book of Judges, when it says Samson's, Samson got incredibly strong or powerful or when he experienced victory, every time that happened, the Bible specifically says that the spirit of the Lord came upon him. The spirit of the Lord came upon him. The implication of that is Samson didn't have to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger in his prime. He didn't have to look like some bodybuilder. He could have looked like an average Joe. He could have looked like me. But when the spirit of the Lord came upon him, then he received extraordinary strength. He didn't need to lift weights or do bodybuilding. He got his strength from God. 
he got it from the spirit of the Lord coming upon him. That's an important point. And so when Samson tells Delilah about this vow he has with God, when he tells her about the source of his strength, Delilah is able to have critical information for the Philistines who were the arch rivals of Samson. Samson, after he's enticed by Delilah, after she nags him, the Bible says, for a long period of time, he gives in. He wants her to just be quiet and leave him alone. He tells her the source of his strength, and as a result, God allowed him to be captured by the Philistines. After he's captured by the Philistines, his eyes are plucked out, his head is shaved, and he's put in prison in Gaza. Gaza is one of the major cities of the Philistines. Now, as time went by, eventually, Samson's hair begins to grow back. And evidently, he renews his vow with God. God gives him his strength back. Once his strength returns, and during a time when he's being used by the Philistines to provide them entertainment, he's able to kill 3,000 of them in their temple. He actually puts his hands between two pillars. He knocks down by the strength of the Lord. He tears down the entire temple in which they're gathered in, or the entire arena. And he kills more Philistines on the day of his death than he did his entire life, because he died along with the Philistines. But he killed 3,000 Philistines in their temple. He died along with them, and Samson's family then buried his body in the tomb of his father. Now, I want to show you some pictures of the Sorek Valley. Again, it is near this valley where Samson was born, where he was raised, where he lived. This area here was near the major Philistine cities. If you look at a map, you'll see the major Philistine cities are near the coast of Israel, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gaza. Samson grew up near the Philistines. This was part of God's providence. It was God's will that Samson be in constant contact and conflict with these people because he was going to use him to bring deliverance to Israel. Delilah was from the Sorek Valley. And she was used by the Philistines to find the secret of Samson's strength. When Samson revealed his covenant with God, the Philistines were able to capture him. They made him a prisoner. They torched him, plucked his eyes out until God gave him his supernatural strength back. And he was able to get vengeance against his enemies. And so the point of that, of all of that, is the Sorek Valley. Pay attention to that in the book of Judges. Some critical things took place there. That's where one of the more popular deliverers was born. This is a real place where that you can visit today. One more valley I want to talk with you about now is the Valley of Elah. The Valley of Elah, do you remember where the Valley of Elah is mentioned in the scriptures? Turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel. Go from Judges now to the book of 
1 Samuel chapter 17. Please go to 1 Samuel 17. If you look at 1 Samuel 17 in verse 1, here the writer tells us about a battle. A battle between the Israelites and the Philistines. I told you the Philistines were a problem for Israel for a very long time, beyond even the time of Samson. Here we find the Philistines gathered for battle. And they are gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and they are camped between Soko and Azekah. Now, when you've read this chapter, and I'm pretty sure that most of you who are watching this, you've read this chapter many times. You know what happens in this chapter. And usually when we read this chapter and when we study this chapter, the only thing we focus on is the action. We focus on one of the great underdog stories, not only in the Bible, but in the history of the world. We focus on how David, the shepherd boy David, was able to defeat the massive Philistine giant by the power of God. That's what we focus on when we read the story, and, and rightfully so, but I want you to notice in this chapter, before telling us anything, before telling us about Saul, before telling us about David, before even telling us about Goliath, the writer first tells us about geography. Geography is the first thing that is mentioned. The Holy Spirit inspires this writer to, to, tell, to talk first about geography. The Philistines, picture this in your mind. The Philistines are gathered to battle Israel between Sukkot and Azekah. Verse 2, Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah. Before we hear about Goliath and David, we first hear about the valley of Elah. And they drew up in battle array to encounter the Philistines. Verse 1 of the chapter tells us that Elah, the valley of Elah, was near Azekah and Sokol. The valley of Elah is actually a triangle-shaped valley located on the western edge of the Judah Low Hills. It is best known as the place where the Israelites were encamped when David, who's a shepherd boy at this time, when David went out to fight the Philistine giant Goliath. If you remember the story, the Bible says that for 40 days, the Philistine giant Goliath taunted and he mocked Israel's army. In fact, not only did he mock Israel's army, but he mocked Israel's God. He mocked Yahweh. He mocked the one true and living God. The Bible describes Goliath as a, as a massive man, a man who was over nine feet tall. He was the best warrior among the Philistines, their best fighter. He had heavy armor, heavy weapons, very skilled. And he had a lot of confidence. I mean, he wasn't just good 
But he was so good that he knew he was good. He knew that nobody could defeat him on the battlefield. And so he mocked Israel's army. He mocked Saul as the king. He mocked Saul's soldiers. He mocked their God. He challenged them. He says, who can defeat me? Who can come out and, and battle me and experience victory? He did this for over a month. For 40 days, he came to the Valley of Elah. And he mocked Israel. David, who wasn't technically in Saul's army at this time, again, he was a shepherd in the field. He noticed Goliath's taunts. And he was disturbed by what he saw after he was sent by his father to bring some food to his brothers. The father of David was a man named Jesse. And there was a day when Jesse sent David from shepherding in the field out to the battlefield where Israel was fighting the Philistines at the Valley of Elah. Jesse sent David to the battlefield with some food for his brothers, and he also wanted David to bring word back to him concerning his brother's condition. When you look at verse number 13 of 1 Samuel chapter 17, the Bible tells us that David had three older brothers who were in Saul's army. Their names were Eliab, Abinadab, and Shemaiah. These three brothers of David were in Saul's army. And of all the sons of Jesse, David was the youngest. He was the baby. And once David arrived and realized that no Israelite soldier in Saul's army would go out and fight Goliath, even though he's mocking God and he's mocking God's people. David volunteered. He said, well, if nobody in this army will go out and fight this man, and Saul, if you won't go out and do it, I'll go and do it. I'll go and fight. If everybody else is trembling and afraid, I'll muster up the courage to meet this man, to meet this giant on the battlefield. And some may wonder, well, how in the world did this shepherd boy persuade the king to allow him to go out and fight this very skilled giant? Well, the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel 17 that David persuaded Saul to allow him to fight Goliath by describing his work as a shepherd. In 1 Samuel 17, in verse number 34, the Bible says, But David said to Saul, Your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion, a lion. You ever fought against a lion before? You want to fight against a lion? I don't. I wouldn't last two seconds. He says, There was a time when I was tending sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him, the lion and the bear and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized it from his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. These are incredibly ferocious beasts. I killed the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since he has taunted the armies of the living God. 
verse 37, and David said, the Lord delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear. He will deliver me. Notice the faith, the confidence, the trust. He didn't say he might deliver me. He says he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, may the Lord be with you. You want to go do this, go right ahead. I'm not. If you can do this, then go right ahead. Notice how David is able to persuade Saul to let him go out on the battlefield by talking about his work as a shepherd. He said, if I can take down a lion, and if I can take down a bear, if I have the skills to do that, then I can take down this Philistine. I can take down this uncircumcised heathen man who is mocking the army of God. I can bring this man down because God will give me the power and the strength to do so. David persuades Saul to allow him to fight by describing his work as a shepherd. And it was in the brook of Eli, as we continue with the, with the story, with the biblical narrative, it was in the brook of Eli, where before going out to battle, David went down and he, and he found five smooth stones that he used to fight Goliath. He didn't need any armor. In fact, Saul's armor was, was too big for him. He said, I don't need any armor, don't need any of that. All I need is five smooth stones. He then put his trust in God, and with a slingshot, he sank a stone right into Goliath's head. He probably gave him a concussion. He knocked Goliath stone cold out. And after he did that, he then went up to the over nine-foot-tall giant. He took his sword. He cut off his head. He cut his head off. And after that took place, the Israelites said, there's no way we got a chance today. I mean, if our best fighter has just gone down, our best fighter has just got his head cut off. There's no way we can win on this on the battlefield. And so the Bible says they were they were they were overtook with fear. Fear gripped their hearts and they and they fled. They they ran. And, and once they started running, this inspired the the Israelite army to pursue them to the gates of Ekron. David defeated Goliath in the Valley of Elah, the greatest underdog story in the history of the world, took place in Elah. Another important thing I want to share with you about Elah is right to the southeast is a place called Adullam. And you can read about Adullam in 1 Samuel chapter 22. Adullam is important because that is where David hid during the time when he was being pursued by Saul. Now, at this time in 1 Samuel 17, Saul and David appear to be friends. They're going to be friends for a while after David kills Goliath, but it wouldn't take long before Saul started getting jealous of David. He especially got jealous when he heard the women singing that Saul had killed his thousands, but David had killed his tens of thousands. David started becoming more popular then Saul in the land of Israel, and that angered and made Saul very jealous as the king, and it wouldn't take long before Saul started getting paranoid, and he would try on numerous occasions to murder David. 
And in, in an effort to escape Saul, David hid in caves that were in Adullam. Now I want to quickly show you some pictures of the Valley of Elah. I was able to go to the Valley of Elah when I went to Israel back in 2015. And one of the powerful things about being here is once we got there, we got in a circle as a group and we read the entire chapter of 1 Samuel 17, that whole narrative. And as we were reading it, we can't, I couldn't help but think about how this is the very place where, where these events took place. This took place in the Valley of Elah. Now, as you look at the screen there, from your perspective of what you're seeing, the Israelite army would have been on the left and the Philistines would have been on the right. You see the brook there on the left side. That's where David would have got his five smooth stones. The Israelite army would have been encamped on the left of your screen, the Philistines on the right. So picture them coming out to battle. The Philistines on the right of, what, of the screen, the Israelites on the left. Goliath comes out for 40 days taunting Israel on this very, on this very battlefield. He taunts them. He mocks them. He mocks their God until a shepherd boy shows up and with just one stone. He doesn't need all five. He just needed one of them. He's able to defeat Goliath by the power of God. This took place in the Valley of Elah. Now, what you see here is a close-up of the brook. Okay? As you can see, everybody's got to get their five smooth stones. I got mine too. I got my stones. I got them at my house right now. Um, a friend of mine was actually able to travel to this brook 10 or 15 years before I did, and he told me he also got five smooth stones. And, you know, if people keep doing that every single year, by now you would think like thousands of years later, that there would be no stones left in this brook. So evidently what's probably happening is somebody's going out there and dumping stones in there for the tourists. Because every time a group goes out there, they get five stones. And by now, there shouldn't be any left, you would think. So somebody is supplying them for us. But we all got our stones. We got our five smooth stones. And it's just amazing to know that this is where the king, the future king of Israel, got his his supplies to go out and fight, to go out and fight the giant. Now, that's the information I want to share with you concerning these two important valleys. And as we get ready to wrap up this class, let me just give you a couple of lessons of application, okay? Now, let's start with the Sorek Valley. What application, what point of application can you take away from what we learned about the Sorek Valley and Samson? Well, the lesson I want you to take away is when it comes to the one true and living God, the God who is our father, the God we serve, we serve a redemptive God. We serve a God of second chances. Remember, when it came to Samson, Samson was a very flawed man. He had a lot of weaknesses. 
he was by no means a perfect man at all. He particularly had a, a weakness for women and getting involved in sexual immorality. He was a flawed man in many ways. And yet, even though he committed one blunder after another, even though he continually violated his Nazarite vow, towards the end of his life, when he sought the Lord again, God forgave him. God had mercy and grace towards him. God gave him his strength back, and he allowed Samson to get his, to get his vengeance. Samson was given another chance by God, even though he committed one blunder after another. In fact, when you read Hebrews 11, Samson is listed in the hall of faith. And just like God gave Samson another opportunity, he'll do that same with us. He's still a redemptive God. He's a God of second chances. He's a God of even third, fourth, and fifth chances. He'll always forgive us when we humbly seek his forgiveness. We learn that from Samson. A second lesson we learn from these valleys we've studied, going to the Valley of Elah now, and what happened with David and Goliath, is when it comes to the one true and living God, the God we serve, he's a God that will help us conquer giants. He will help us conquer giants we have in our lives. Just like he helped David conquer the massive Philistine giant Goliath, he'll also help us conquer our giants. He'll help us conquer the giant of alcoholism. He'll help us conquer the giant of discouragement or the giant of immorality or the giant of, of marriage problems. Whatever giants you're battling in your life right now, remember the same God David served is the one you serve. And just like David was blessed to conquer giants and defeat giants when he put his trust and faith in God, the same will happen to you. If, again, you put your faith and your trust in God. We serve a God who's in the business of helping his people conquer giants. Now, that's our study for this day, and I appreciate you taking these journeys with me through the Bible and what the Bible says about geography. I hope you can see the importance of geography and why it's mentioned in the scriptures. We'll continue studying more about King David in our next study. I want to show you some other places that I was able to see in my trip to Israel that are tied to David, and I certainly hope that they will help you in your further study of the scriptures. Thank you for studying with me this morning.